Um, coaching? 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 What does that... <laughs> what do you mean? Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. And damn it, I failed again. You did? I had no snappy It was there. You, you were supposed to have a snappy retort. I did last time. I planned ahead. This time I came in unprepared and have failed horribly. There was a, like, there was a pregnant pause, for uh, God's yeah, sakes. How can we have a pregnant pause? It's just terrible. Hey, Metacasters. Hey, Bob. So, how are you doing out there? Good. We're glad that you're listening. <laughs> Welcome to Josh. So, Josh, what are we going to... What do we talk about today? I had an idea. I'll, I'll pun it. And see, I'll, I'll throw it out there and see okay. how you, you respond. Yeah. Metacasters, I had this idea that we talk about a day in the life of agile leaders. So we'll pretend that Josh is a leader. That's a stretch. Wow, <laughs> cheap shots already. I wanted to set the stage for it. Okay? Stage is set. Was it? I, I went low. I went. I, I went hard, and I went. <laughs> I went low. I. Um, I am prepared, sir. So, Josh, no, no. Let me retract that. Josh oh, is a wonderful leader. He's. Yeah, I'm trying now. I'm trying to put salve on the wound. Uh, so, Josh is no. In all seriousness, Josh is a wonderful leader. So, let's talk about. I've been a leader occasionally in my past. Uh, I will try to remember some of those leadership instances, although some of them I blocked out to protect my my sanity. Uh, but what we were talking about is uh, maybe sharing uh, a day in the life of an agile leader. Like, what does it look like for leadership? And, and not hypothetically, right. but what, are, what does a day in our lives look like? Uh, right. and, we'll, and we'll start with Josh. So what is a day? What are some things you think about during the day from a leadership point of view? Right. So my primary concern deals with well, right now. The thing that's front of mind for me is a lot of what I classify as scaling upwards or scaling vertical. And that all goes into ensuring that the squads that we have are well-fed. The product owners are doing a great job. So it's feeding the product owners with the roadmap, with the strategy, having it be consistent, having it be <clears throat> as consistent as it can, right? I know it's going to change, but I often talk about the fog and ensuring that we have the right depth of fog, that we aren't churning and spinning on something that's you know, 18 months out. Let's not get too wrapped around the axle on that. Let's make sure the stuff that's right in front of us, and at this level I'm talking about quarters, that we have good clarity around the quarter that we're in. The next quarter we're starting to refine it. So bringing those same models around sprint planning and sprint backlog maintenance. So planning horizon. So the right. horizon. Now, now, I would look at that as being more, I'm guessing, and I want you to confirm or deny, but Kevin... So the product owner organization here is younger and more – so they're, they're wonderfully experienced, mm -hmm. but they're relatively new compared to your experience. From an agile perspective, From an yes. agile point of view. Yeah. So I, I would guess that you're probably tweaking them a lot about Horizon. Oh, you're too far. Oh, you're too short. We need more. We need less. Uh, it, it's, I've done that as well yep. a lot in my past. So talk about that. Are you helping them? So you're stepping out of your role. You're stepping out of your leadership role and into a coaching role from a product owner point of view. Right, but my, my my primary focus is how do we get the squads to run as effectively as possible? And something I believe in very strongly is that is heavily determined by the quality of the backlog that they're consuming. Correct. 
product owners, we've got that locked and loaded. They're great. They're doing awesome. Now it's organizationally, how do we transform and become an agile organization and plan in an agile manner and feed the squads in an agile manner? So that's different. And do all of that. Yeah. So that's that, that's that next level thing that I'm spending a lot of time trying to get better at. We talked about the agile donut and adding on safe and principles from there. So we mix a little bit of safe and we mix a lot of scrum and bring those same principles to it. So I talked about refinement. So we try and refine at each level. So let's make sure that the quarter that we're in, let's treat that like the like the squad sprint that they're in right now. That's locked and loaded. We should know everything we need to know about that. But that next quarter that's out there, we need to make sure that we're well refined. So as the squads begin to pull that work in within their PSI planning sessions, that they know what it is. They've seen it a couple times. They're not getting surprised. They're not throwing these wild sizes on it because they don't know what's happening. They don't really know what it is. They've talked about it they've seen it they have comfort and always doing that and always driving that so So you and the chief product owner right he may not call himself that but you and kevin are sort of handling that sort of advanced look ahead right and you're arm wrestling where necessary and you're vetting it where necessary you're probably even looking at the capacity of your org Mm -hmm. you have a visceral sense for what the capacity of your org is and you might be pre-vetting hey this is too big of a chunk or this is too small of a chunk so that stuff is happening, sort of pre-staging it for your team? Right, and we do that pretty well for our tribe here in Cary. And now what we're doing is trying to roll that out and be consistent across all the tribes. So against all the portfolio products that we have and trying to get us all in sync and running in the same way, doing product backlog refinement the same way, doing portfolio roadmap planning the same way. So how way. many tribes do you have here? You have one. Do you consider the um, the Singapore? Is it Singapore? Malaysia. The Malaysia team is that a tribe? Yeah. yeah. So that would be a tribe. So is that the only one, or do you have? Have you guys done? We have some smaller issues through acquisitions where there's folks in Canada and different remote places that we're treating them as tribes. Um, how they shake out in the end, we don't know. But really, tribe for us is broken down by the products that you support. Okay. So that's how it's broken down now, um, and trying to get all those. All those backlogs, the meta backlogs is a term I know you've used in the past, is trying to get those in sync and aligned in, in a cadence, yeah. right? That's that's something that um, is really the next level for, for us is developing the, the, the portfolio level cadence and not just the product level. I mean, when I was at Eye Contact, I, I spent a lot of time with Mich- – so Michelle Engel was our chief product owner. Um, we had – I mean, and I'm echoing what you said. We had strong POs. But where I try to, well, one, I have PO expertise, uh, and so I would try to sort of coach them and train them around consistency and standards, like story writing standards mm-hmm. and size standards and estimation standards, and I, I just did that regularly. But I would always be sort of doing quarterly planning with her and trying to stay ahead of the game. Right. Um, part of it was upward, making sure that we were. You know, part of, I, I was an I was a leader. I mm-hmm. was an executive. So part of it was making sure that we're biting off the high. Did I did I actually agree with the prioritization of the roadmap? I had a responsibility to represent technology in that. Right. Uh, and then part of it was once so representing that, but then also coaching her uh, around you know just balancing prioritization and balancing how do we get team feedback. Spiking was something that we would work on. Right. How do we feed? How do we get stories early into the team that would eke cycles from the team so that we could make priority decisions in our forecasting? Yeah. So now that, that's something I want to throw out. Something that we just did a PSI planning mechanism. So that's our rolling release train planning or similar things. Uh, 
PSI planning event from from Scrum that they do once a quarter. We actually do it once every two sprints. So something that myself and one of the product owners noticed is that we've seen squads for stuff that they're not comfortable with, the sprints get filled with a lot of spikes. Right. So the sprints that are in action right now or with two or three sprints that we know really well, there are no spikes. But the stuff that's out there, six, Mm -hmm. seven sprints, there's a ton of spikes. And they got real worried, like, holy cow, we got to do all these spikes. We're not going to actually build any product. So the thing that I threw out to them is I think that's that we haven't groomed those yet. So the squads are uncomfortable. They aren't sure what they are. So the defense mechanism is let's do a spike. Let's do some research. But the thing that I tried to get them comfortable with is that I think if we go through our normal refinement process, that those spikes will transform into normal stories and we'll have an idea. We'll have done some mini spikes along the way. We've played with some ideas and now we have the stories of actually making them happen. Well, I think that's the encouragement that leaders have like you and I of it's not just look ahead planning. It's drawing in that technical investigation, drawing it currently, right? Right. Pulling it in rather than pushing it out into big bangs or something. Right. And I think you just encourage teams. You encourage product owners to take them on, to think ahead. Right. Uh, to create place in a sprint. I, I personally look at, you know, every sprint should have some, maybe some technical look ahead. Right. Unless you're doing some boring work or something or, or non-technically challenging work. So it's it's a question of how do we just create a flow of spiking? That's the wrong way to say it, but yeah, or, I get it. Or, or look ahead, right? Uh, I don't know if teams think that way. But naturally. I view an overabundance of spiking as an indication of you need more refinement on that backlog. I, I would ag- I would agree. Okay. So if, if I look down the road and you have three sprints worth of spikes and no features, we've we've not done enough. Right. Decomposition, right? Right. Uh, you never, I mean, this goes back to another point. I don't know if you agree with it, but coaching the team towards, I don't know, balanced agile. So, for example, forget spiking. Is it a good idea to have a sprint only deliver spikes? Right. Right. And have, you know, like, where's the beef? <laughs> right. You know, and then do that for three sprints in a row. Yeah. I, I call it going silent sometimes. You've heard me say, you know, you don't want a team to absolutely go silent. I'm not devaluing the spike. The spikes have value. But 100% of the content, that's – so even even if, if it's I, – I don't know if that makes sense from a business point of view, from a confidence point of view. Either. Yeah, and one thing that we wrestle with a lot here is evolutionary architecture and evolving there. And a lot of baggage folks have with wanting to know everything about everything about everything yeah. before we're ready to build it as because – it's fearful, right? I get it. We've all made bad choices where we're trying to do the right things and we wrestle with what's right versus what's easy and all those debates around how much do we build and how much is enough and how do we not paint ourselves into a corner with architectural decision or anything like that. So it's always a balancing act of trying to have evolutionary architecture in mind, but also building just enough to deliver the story of what we need, but also having that vision of what the architecture should be over the next three quarters. Don't you think you you sometimes understate your impact? You're like an understated guy yeah. sometimes, and it's like the teams, the teams, the teams. But I, I, I suspect you're guiding that here, that you're indirectly giving people, as a leader, you're giving people space. I would call yeah. it space. Space to look ahead, also space to deliver some software now. Space to run an experiment, space to fail. I, I don't think reading a hundred agile books sort of guarantees that. I think you need an informed leader who has common sense right. and a good balance 
to sort of be giving the team goose, goosing, pushing them in the right direction here and there, and really sort of trusting them and saying, "Here, you know, go ahead and do that." What do you think? Do you do that so a the, lot? Yeah, and that's something we talked about before we hit the record button. Is that that constant struggle of do I jump in and help here, or do I let them fail and stub their toe a little bit? Like, what's the what's the right amount of space to give? to have the right lessons learned, but also not having a failure that's too big to, to, to recover from. So always it's managing all of the time. So here's an example um, happened last week. So we've compiled reams of data, stats. We, we, we have our oldest squad is 30-plus sprints in, so we have a lot of stats around that and how many folks were on the squad in the sprint, how many points we got done, how many we forecasted, points per sprint per engineer. We have all this data. And we never showed it to the squads. Like, we never said, Here, here's an indicator of how things are going. Right. We don't want that to be, like, pass or fail, right? But we want them to see, okay, we're trending in the right direction. Or, no, we're not. Because we actually, with three of the squads, we had a lot of data. And we had trend charts. And I drew them up on the whiteboard with the manager and said, okay, who's who? Who's trending up? Who's trending down? And who's just flat? And the manager's guessed right because we weren't sure so we wanted to use it as an indicator of where we should spend some more time of where we should reduce space or where we should increase space of who's running well who needs some more attention and we wanted to share that with the squad so that's a little dangerous and um, i said okay richard take it and put it in front of the squad and that was the first time and I could tell it wasn't going exactly as smooth as we would like because folks were saying, oh, so now you're judging us on velocity, and velocity is all you really care about. What are we doing here? Is this the right thing? Why are we – you know, so all the questions, yep. all the worries, yep. and all the concerns that we had came gushing out. Yep. And I was over there, like, just strapped myself into the chair to force myself not to go over there and save the day because I could go over there and save the day and everything would be better and Absolutely. explain it all away. But that wasn't the right thing, right? Giving Richard and the squad space to talk it out and get to the same page and really understand that it was an indicator. That's all well, it is. Well, what would have been powerful if they needed you, they could have pulled you in right. and said, Josh, wh- what are you? What are you looking for? Right. What is And we didn't play? get there, right? So I did the right thing because it didn't end up there. Yeah. And I asked Richard how it went. He's like, well, not as well as I had hoped, but it was the first one. So I know yeah. it wasn't going to be perfect. Yeah. But now I know what to do for the next one. Yeah. So a lot of good learning and everything healed itself. But it's the one thing that we just want to give the squads the data. Right. Right. Because it's there. It's just we never put in a chart, easy, consumable form where they can look at it and say, oh, okay, maybe we're not doing as well as we thought. And maybe we need to tweak and operate a little bit better or maybe pull in less in the sprints, whatever the right answer is. But it's is. not even – that's not just a good story around uh, space and not space, uh, but it was also a good – you initiated it. You looked at – you initiated trending. You initiated it with leaders and said, "Who guess. Right. right. You gave the leaders permission to look at data. I've always thought a good coach looked at the data, not from an external point of view, from an internal – it's like the speedometer, the oil. What's right. the temperature gauge doing? What's the oil right. gauge doing? What's the speedometer doing? That's your car. Now, that's, how do I guide adjustments? In some cases, adjustments mm-hmm. would be for the team. In some cases, I can just provide hints mm-hmm. right, to the team, which is what you're doing. So I think you did a great job of 
sort of initiating that to see where it goes. Uh, I would have I would have been curious to see who wasn't even paying attention to that. Right. I would have some private conversations, not to ding anyone, but if no one knew viscerally, like if there was a mismatch, we should viscerally know that this team is flat. What? And, and it happened and, to me, right? So it might sound like I'm throwing the managers out. So I had Richard pull pull the stats, put them in a graph, and not put names on it. And I guessed wrong. I was wrong. See, how right? cool is that? Yeah, I, so think I, that like, I, I think that's really cool yeah. to start looking at the data, giving space, initiating. Because isn't that part of our – I talked about leader coaching, mm-hmm. a day in the life of a leader, and how are we influencing the agile environment? And I think – so let's come back a second. You were talking about the forecasting side of things. Now we're talking about the team dynamic side of things. That's an area I think that's really juicy for right. us as coaches to look at. Uh, we've introduced this notion of space. I have to. I have a blog post around space, mm-hmm. like giving teams. I think good leaders give part of agile transformations. I think a lot of leaders don't give. If there's a trend that I see a lot, it's we give under space, not over space, yeah. right? Uh, so I'll make sure that I send that to you, or we can connect it to this to this podcast right. to this metacast. What else do we do? I'm trying to think back to eye contact. I, I've told this story before. I asked for failures with Scrum Masters once, and I think the Scrum Masters were looking at me. So we were, we, we, my perception was we were flatlining across multiple teams. And, and I think as leaders, we have to step up there and give space for failure. We have to almost demand it. Some, right. Like have these counter behaviors that no other leader – I, I, I was looking at a room full of scrum masters, and I know that no one in their professional life had ever looked them in the eye and said, "You're not failing enough." Right, right. And so I, but but that's that's so counterintuitive, but it's so part of what I think good agile leadership is about. So sometimes we have to take that walk on the wild side and say something. Emergent architecture. You yeah. were saying it earlier. Let it let it emerge. Right. So we're not going to do any upfront architecture. Or you might say, let's that's, that's just really beat this into submission and have the team recognize that they did too much upfront architecture. Right. You can talk about emergent architecture to your blue in the face, but you might sort of set up like learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah. I, and again, it's back to that balance of space. It, to me, it all comes into space. I really like the term that you pulled out there of a lot of times you – you have the right answer. But if you continually have the right answer, the team becomes dependent on you always having the answer. They don't develop the skills that they need to excel, and then you become a bottleneck, and it crashes and burns. And that's just a horrible mess. So what what you want to try and do is lead and guide them towards the right answer. And that's in a million different directions. That's in architecture. That's in just a little decision around, hey, we have this bug. I'm not sure what to do. And there was one thing. Um, we had a performance issue with um, some of our data and I saw it instantly it's like it's indexes I know that's an index problem I know it I, I'm just going to tell you right now that's it I'm going to walk away come back in two or three days when you realize <laughs> Josh you were right um, but I just said that once and so what that did was it just nudged them in the right direction and we did a review of the indexes that we had and by golly we added like 10 and everything was better yeah, yeah. you know so it's just those types of things of we could have sat down and gone through it, but it's like, hey, check the indexes. I'm willing to bet you lunch right. that that's what that is. Right. What about being wrong? What about using yourself as sort of a, 
a negative role model. And what I mean by that is some, sometimes to make a point like that failure is okay or that uh, it's okay to be wrong, the earth doesn't, yeah. you know, or it's okay to ask for help. These are things we've talked about in the Metacast. Uh, you know, I can say that or I can actually lead by example uh, and throw myself under the bus. Do you, right. ever, do you ever do anything like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I try and be wrong. Um, I don't need a lot of help trying to do that. And I, I've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, and trust me, the whole group loves to point out when Josh is wrong. Um, but, the, but the key there is vulnerable, right? You've got to be able to be vulnerable and throw yourself under the bus. That's a beautiful word, and that's what I was thinking of. It's that vulnerability right. as a leader, so go ahead. I interrupted and, and, you. And, and just being comfortable not, not doing that. Times when you do it intentionally and times you don't do it intentionally, but just being comfortable. And I push that, especially with our whole group, because that's one thing is I want them to be vulnerable and trusting of the whole group, right? So I want them yep. to be able to put themselves out there and ask a question when they're the only person raising their hand. Yep. And they know everybody thinks it's left, but you think we should go right. And it's 40 people staring at you, and you're willing to ask that question. Yep. And setting that example and really highlighting also when other folks do that same thing. Because without that, we end up all just doing the same thing. It's one of the most powerful characteristics of my agile leadership style or, and or agile coaching style is I'm pretty good at that. Uh, one, I make mistakes. Right like anyone does, but I, I just throw myself under the bus. Right. And what I and I do it in such a way that I get some really positive results from the team. And it creates so there's many ways to create space. One of the themes in this Metacast is this notion of space or permission. In this right. case, allow people permission to ask the stupid question. You can say that all stupid questions are allowed. Right. But you can but but that doesn't actually give them enough space. Right. It's like me asking a stupid question, having folks laugh at me, me laughing at myself. Right. Uh, sets the tone. I think it opens that space bucket up a little bit. Now, you have to be careful. People need to respect you. So you don't want to – I think there's a yeah. fre- I think there's a frequency of you don't want to throw yourself yeah. under the bus constantly. But uh, self-deprecating humor. Right. So being, being, you know, have, being self-deprecating I, I think can be really effective in getting the teams to step up. What else you got? So I just want to stay on that for a minute. So that So that's something that – I do a lot of work with with the budding leaders that are in our group of getting them comfortable doing that and getting them to see how their peers, when you do that, how it changes things a little bit. And they aren't always the person that knows everything. And now they're willing to have that discussion and that brings more discussion. And that gets the conversation that gets us to the right answer instead of just what we thought was the right answer. So that's something that you have to coach down as well. You have to coach people to do that because it's uncomfortable, right? And, and But the key is that getting folks to a level where they're confident and confident that they know what they're talking about, and it's okay to be wrong. There's a lot of times where people are trying to acquire skills in a specific area, and they don't want to be wrong because they're trying to aggressively learn as much as they can. But once they get to a certain level, then they can start to back off of that and feel confident. Okay, I really do know what to do in the end, so I'm going to throw, throw myself under the bus and just be an example here. I think, it, I mean, to your point, I think you're making this, I think it's sort of 
contrary to the experience. I think it's harder for, so architects, I'll pick on architects. I think it's much harder for a traditional architect to admit that they're wrong or right. to say, I don't know. I mean, it's almost not part of the vocabulary. Right. It's like it's, it's not, not part their of job the, to be wrong. It's not their job to be wrong. Right. And so as you go up, you almost have to you almost have to untrain that stuff and you, you have to you have to give them power. So right. the more experienced the person is, the more coaching, the more space you have to provide for them. To say, no, 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 you don't understand. It is okay to say I don't know. In fact what you're doing is you're giving space to a junior engineer to tell yeah. you to share an idea with you that you may not have considered. Yeah. What else do we do? Uh, what about I wanna I wanna explore defense. So defensive teams. And, and so the classic scrum master role, I sometimes call scrum masters like sheepdogs. That there's that cartoon where that sheepdog is guarding the flock against the coyotes. And I, I think that's a classic part of the scrum master role. But I also think leadership. I, I can think of instances for me where I've defended my team. What about you? Uh, and give us some stories or examples yeah, of defense. To me, I... I to me, the mechanism that I always use is education because usually an attack comes from a lack of understanding. So there is a jump to a conclusion, right, that isn't fully informed. So at that point, the first step that I always take is assume they don't have the information that they need and sit down and explain that of here are the facts, here's how it works, here's Agile. Because a lot of times it's an organizational transformation and there's a lot of historical baggage with executives or other organizations within the company or anything where they aren't understanding what you're trying to do and what Agile expects of them or what Agile expects of the tribe, squad, whatever. So that's always the first defense mechanism that I use is education. Like, okay, let's sit down. What what did you think was supposed to happen? Right. And then here's what happened. And right. here's why I think that's actually the right thing that happened. And let's talk about the differences and make sure that we get on the same page. So that's always the first approach that I take. I think that's a fair. I think it's a fair approach. Uh, let me give you a scenario and then see how you. And this is one from my own history. I know how I poorly reacted. So uh, global sprint reviews, multiple teams, uh, leadership team entirely in the audience. Eighty people in the audience, a hundred people in the audience. The, the entire leadership team is there. Uh, scrum teams are doing their demos. One team gets up on stage and had a failed sprint. Mm -hmm. uh, and they feel pretty spectacular. They let's say they committed to 10 stories and they delivered three right. or something like that. And uh, one, one executive starts nitpicking at the team, under, uh, questioning their integrity, questioning their commitment, questioning their skill, questioning, uh, questioning, right. question, right in front of 100 people. You're in the audience. What do you do? So one thing that I'm never comfortable with is folks questioning the intent of the teams that I represent um, because I know how hard those folks work. I know who was up checking code in at 2 a.m. Right. I know the intent of these people is to do good work. They have personal pride. They want to build a product they're proud of. They want to build a team, a process, a product, everything that they're proud of. Um, so I damn will, Skippy. So so what? Are, wherever so, that came from. Where where? So what? Do, what do so you do? I. I, I will jump to the defense of the team in that and say, okay, that's not on the table for us to debate. What we can debate around is execution within the sprint. And what did we make? Did we deliver the wrong things? What, what were hurdles? That's fair game. That's 100% of what we should be doing in when the When would you make that distinction? You're sitting in the meeting. Would you wait till after the meeting? It depends on how far that person went. 
if it was a couple cheap shots here and there, I might let it go and talk to them after. If they just kept laying into the squad, I'd probably stand up and say something. So to me, it would be varying the degree. scope the scope of yeah. the of the the miscontent or something yeah. like that. Okay. So I've I've been in a case like that where I I jumped up and it wasn't a singular case. There were different cases, and I actually took your education on a couple occasions. I stood up. And, and made more of an educational point and talked about sprint goals and talked right. about the intent of a sprint goal. Uh, in some cases, I, I, to your point, I'm like, this is here are the boundaries. Right. Right. In play, out of play. Right. We will now stop this. I am proud of my team. You should be too. Right. That's stop. <laughs> Do we really want to? Is this what we're about as a company? I think not. That's, right. Here are the boundaries. Uh, I actually think that has multiple. So to me, that that sets a message into that train. That train training is the wrong. That sets the tone of what the sprint reviews are and are not to everyone in the room. Right. So you now have these side effects, uh, whether you, whether you know it or not. You've mm-hmm. actually protected your team. I think teams appreciate that. Right. Uh, you're messaging to the team too. You're, it's not all rosy. You're not. You, you're telling them that hey, you have to improve as well. Yeah. The the, the uh, one slide that has stayed in our sprint review for thirty plus sprints is. Our definition of the sprint review is we show the good, the bad, and the ugly. Of We're not going to hide. We're going to show you exactly what happened. We know it's not going to be perfect, but the expectation is the next sprint, it'll be better. See, I like that. Yeah. And, well, no, not just like that. If it, the, the organization should be aware of that. Right. Right. That would be part of my defense of the team. We show the good, the bad, and the right. ugly. We are not going to hide. We, we, just like everybody else in this room, will make mistakes. We're just going to put it out on display. Do you ever protect the team from themselves? So I, I, I think part of it, what I've learned when I, when I train scrum masters, I talk about you're not just – there's always this view of we're protecting teams from outside influences. Yeah. And, and I also remind scrum masters that you protect the team from themselves, whatever that means, as a leader. So part of this protect, protect – do you have any examples of you protecting the team from themselves? Yeah, there, there's – There's times when folks have tried to do the right thing, but in turn it didn't send the right message of, oh, this is too hard to demo. We're not going to demo it. We're not going to figure out how to show it. That's a nice example. Right. No, we we have work we're going to show. It might be hard to do, but we need to show it. Right. We can't. We can't show only the nice glitzy UI stuff, yep. right? There's, there, there's a lot of work that we do that adds a lot of value that we need to find a way to highlight and show the value that's being delivered. And if that means that we have to educate the company on the value of an API or the value of an integration story versus Correct. the value of a new button. Oh, this then, is a juicy path then, right then, here, yeah. Then maybe we need to do that. But they but they were trying to be conscious of the attendees and all of that and trying to do the right thing and say, well, we're not going to show that because it's going to be hard. It's not going to make a lot of sense to people. It doesn't then, – then I said, then why did we build it? Right? Yep. If we didn't build it – for a reason to add value, yep. Yep. then we shouldn't show it. But does it add value? Yeah, so, it does. So, so you show it. So you're at that point, and you have a choice. So you took the interaction choice, contrasted against the elbowing Richard, the scrum master, and saying, Richard, they need to show everything, and right. then just walking away. So what's the difference? I mean, they're both acceptable reactions. So you, the leader, are pointing some things out. Richard would be pointing them out. Yeah, so it's a time and a place. It, it's... Um, 
there's times when I just walk around tor- towards the end of the sprint and say, hey, what are you guys going to demo? And, oh, well, we're not going to demo anything. Well, why not? You know, what, did we fail and not deliver any stories? Yep. Well, n- no. You know, maybe Rich- maybe it's a half hour to go, and Richard's over there wrestling with something else. Um, but, again, to your point, I do try and, like, cue up Richard. Like, hey, Richard, go, go talk to these guys. But there's times where that's not the optimal thing to do, and you just got to jump in and say, hey, here's the deal. But then the key is to cycle back with Richard yep. and say, hey, FYI, talk to the squad. They weren't going to demo anything. And I nudged them to go in this direction. So just make sure you coach them along then to make sure they didn't go off rail. I love the circular. Like you and I are very much I, – I, so I think we're circling around what I was hoping we would discuss is this situational, soft, uh, space-driven, knowing yep. when to push, when not to push situations like this. I, I think you're nailing it. Yep. Uh, I, I like that. There's no one-size answer. I think the scrum master has a powerful influence on the team. But yep. I also think as a leader – don't don't defer everything to the scrum master. Get in the game. Show awareness, situational awareness. Know the, your influence yeah. that you have. Uh, anything else on well, leader so, co- coaching? So I know it sounds like we have all the right answers, but I can tell you um, that's not true. There have been multiple times where I facepalm myself and say, Daggone it, I should have kept my mouth shut and let Richard answer that. I jumped too soon. I saw something I reacted when I shouldn't have, and I should have kept, kept my mouth shut given Richard a look and he would have got what I was talking about yep. and then jump in. So it's a delicate balance and you just have to iterate on it and try and learn and find the right I would, answer. I would agree with that. I mean, I would have the counterpoint with you. There's times where I've kicked myself that I should have gotten involved. Yeah, definitely. Right? I mean, it goes both ways. Right. Uh, and, and I don't think there's any right, you know, I should, you shouldn't have gotten involved. Don't pat yourself on the back because it's a, an autonomous self-directed team. Well, no, I should have in that situation. I probably should have, done something different uh, I think it's there's this notion in coaching and I think it applies to leadership more than anything is knowing when to push and when to pull right knowing when to get involved and when right. not to uh, I think it's walking around you said a key a little while ago just walking around your team leveraging the ceremonies right uh, being engaged in the ceremonies the, the tenor of the ceremonies getting up at the end of a sprint review of five of your teams and just applauding and setting the tone, if that's appropriate, right? right. So, so it's 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 talking, it's body language, it's all of those things. I think folks are paying. So whether you, you know, and I mean, you know this, but it's everyone. But whether you believe it or not, people are paying attention to you, Johnny. Like right. your every breath, your every body, you know, right. all of your body language, people pay attention to here. Right. Uh, they, you've hired them. I think that's true of any leader. How do we do on this topic? I it, feel pretty good. It wasn't. I, I think it was. I think it was not bad. We might even have a like a part two to this sometime in the future. Yeah. I, I feel like we've closed this episode, and maybe mm. we can reopen it and see if we can come up with other situations yeah, like this. That'd be good. So let's close this. Let's, let's close this let's, bad boy let's down. Let's do that, Bob. Because we're 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 in a time box. We are in a time box. Unfortunately, no, no, fortunately, no. So, Josh, how do people get a hold of us? Well, Bob, you're can, glad I asked. I am. It's amazing how you always ask the right questions at, at the, the right, right time. time. Oh, man, that's just good. So, tell us. So, uh, best bet is through Twitter. So, I've been <clears throat> updating our website, adding more ways to get in touch with that, us because we've had some feedback of you hey, rock. we don't know how to get in You've touch with you. You've been doing technical stuff on our 
Yeah. You are the man. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to like add <clears throat> I'm going to add wood for the fire for the smoke signals as well. So I'll I'll bring in some birch and hickory. Yeah. So 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 I'm trying to make it easier to get in touch with us. So on our website meta-cast um with the hyphen between the A and the C or there I'm adding links just about everywhere I can think of to contact us via Twitter cuz that's my preferred channel. So if you want to reach out to us that's that's probably your best bet. But we're on iTunes, Stitcher, trying to get us on Google. We've got to we've got to um, switch our um, logo. There's some issues with our logo that Google's not allowing us into their new podcast directory. So we're trying to be everywhere we can. Um, something that we've learned and we've said multiple times is reviews matter. They they, they help us. Um, so please leave a positive review if you like us. If you leave a negative one, that's fine. We at least want the daggone feedback. Absolutely. Please. And and give us items for our backlog. I actually took a photo of our backlog. We have a manual paper based backlog, and I'll put I'll post it on the Metacast to let everyone see it. Not sure you can read it, but yeah, because I wrote it. But we'll see it. But give us items for our backlog. So everyone, we love the feedback. We appreciate your your listening in, and it's just our wonderful opportunity to serve you all. So hopefully, you got something out of this Metacast. So from beautiful downtown. Cary, North Carolina. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.